Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is managing IoT security. So we all know that IoT devices are now being enabled by analytics and AI. And when we talk about sensing the reactions, the adjustments that we do on the fly no longer need any specific human intervention or attention, and they don't even need to be aware of how, about it. So that said, the companies which are deploying many tens of thousands of such devices and endpoints, the attack surface is growing exponentially. While they may be securing their regular fort, which is the confines of their office or things that they can directly see, but when you're going to put IoT in the mix, it suddenly increases the security threat quite a bit. So what should enterprise security leaders do to proactively plan and manage the security of their IoT network? To discuss that, uh, we've invited Alma Cole, who's the Chief Information Security Officer with U.S. Customs and Border Protection with the Department of Homeland Security. Hi, Alma. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thank you. I'm doing just fine. Great. Thanks to, uh, to uh, thanks for joining us. Now, question: the first question we have is IoT devices, they have been around now almost for a decade, and we have been working with them. Yes, the consumer-grade IoT devices came as inherently secure, the, you know, the industrial-grade IoT, they are talking about security. All of that said, what would you say is the current state of the IoT network that exists? Would you still say uh, it is inherently secure and we should lose our sleep at night? Well, so there's definitely a pretty large range, and that's the thing is you this is this field has exploded, and uh, it's very, very hard to even put your thumb on what exactly is IOT or or sometimes we call them obviously network of things as well. Very, very broad categories. And so you'll have a huge spectrum of everything from incredibly insecure to actually providing very, very tight security. So one size does certainly not fit all in this category. So, so that said, would you say um, if it is insecure? Because I would, I would rather feel insecure than very comfortable when it when <laughs> it comes to IoT, right? So, if if that's the yes. case, what would you do, or what what should we be doing to deal with this? We cannot just keep uh, losing our sleep. We got to do something, and I'm sure people are doing something. But what's being done? which at least gives us the confidence that we are moving in the right direction because what it takes is just one breach, which could bring us down. So it's not that we have all the time in the world and we can just feel good about making progress. Yeah, I think we've seen a big evolution too in how we think about and treat IoT. Uh, I think originally over the last, let's say, 20 years, we had our trusted networks and then we had the things that were untrusted. Usually this IoT would be in untrusted network segments. So our response was, well, it's not traditional IT. We don't know exactly how to treat it. We don't know exactly what the risk is. So let's just create another network, sometimes even having different air connections and things like that. Let's segment it off, air gap it from everything else that we trust and put it off in this corner over here and leave it alone. And that approach worked to manage risk for a while, but now you know, increasingly and increasingly, uh, we want to take the intelligence that can be gained from all of those IoT networks and segments, and we want to roll those up, we want to do more data analytics on them, we want to include that, that intelligence into our overall uh, our overall common operational picture platforms. So, you know, we're seeing that those use cases for being able to air gap and segment off those completely, those are, are pretty much out the window. And because of that, we are now finding that we really have to hammer home the, the importance of applying uh, obviously good information security standards and practices uh, into all of these you know, previously segmented air gap regions. And so I think there has been some catch up 
uh, in a number of different areas, starting with the supply chain, and then obviously moving forward into you know uh, things like device integrity, uh, th things like actually ensuring that we have you know thing, authentication and proper identification, and we we really understand everything that's happening and what's talking to what within those those segments. Uh, and then overall, uh, just just assuring that the risks or potential risks that could be brought by, let's say, vulnerable IoT devices, that those are risks that then don't drag down and make the rest of the network vulnerable and, and affect our more trusted components. So think about the ecosystem that's developed and, and how anything comes into being. So IoT originally came out of the labs and people said, wow, this could really change things. Did we jump the gun in your view and went with an overzealous approach to capitalizing and exploiting this technology without allowing or recognizing what it will do to the security? On one hand, we are saying we want to spend millions of dollars in keeping ourselves secure and have a very secure fort. On the other hand, we say, okay, this is cool. Let's go ahead and, and deploy it. And only for security leaders to start screaming, saying, you guys are going to drill a lot of different small little windows where things will come through, even though you're thinking you have secured the fort. How has the security community, uh, to what degree, I would say, has the security community been able to get their voice heard that folks don't go full-blown with IoT till the time you don't have the security in place? Or do you think you cannot make that promise that uh, in two years you will have this in place and then you can have uh, the business exploit IoT? Where, where does the security you know, uh, community yeah. stand on this? Well, uh, we're definitely playing catch-up. And again, uh, I think we started with some segmentation on networks. And a good example is thinking about like industrial control systems uh, systems that are doing, let's say, let's say they're doing power generation or something like that. Uh, th those control systems for a long time uh, enjoyed their autonomy from everything else. And, uh, and again, as we start to bridge those, those networks, we start to bring more automation and connectivity and, and intelligence from those networks that expose those systems. And um, you saw over the last 10 years, this increase in nation state attacks that are targeting specifically those industrial control systems because, uh, again, we got a little ahead of ourselves, got a little greedy with the capabilities that they could bring, and the security definitely lagged. Uh, and and you can, it doesn't take long to look through security intelligence reports and see how various nation states and other cyber actors are attacking those. And same things when you look at uh, hospitals, uh, you know, the healthcare community that brought in uh, IoT type technologies uh, without having the right security uh, to devastating effect. So uh, look at some of the hospitals and the way that some of like the uh, WannaCry uh, type ransomware attacks have, have hit and, and really brought down all the functionality for the most part within these hospitals uh, based on uh, them introducing those IOTs without bringing the right levels of security. So uh, we've been uh, paying a price as a you know, worldwide community overall uh, for getting a little, little too ambitious with the technology without having the right attention be paid towards security. Uh, and now finally, I think we're seeing that swing back to where we actually know that uh, that that we re recognize that this is not something we can take for granted anymore, and we have to apply these same basic principles we've known about for years and years. So one is to caution the business; another is to stall them. And we, of course, don't want to stall the business. But you yes. are saying that we got to make progress and get to a point where you can safely, quote unquote, safely adopt IoT, what would be that level of safely that we have to reach? Before you would say, yes, I can sleep at night and huh. so can business. So I think that uh, we're going to get into this, uh, I'm sure, a bit more. But, um, you know, there is an overall broad move within security, both in the more traditional as well as the IoT side towards uh, zero trust. So uh, really the first and foremost thing we need to ensure is that we have the ability to do proper segmentation. So as these networks and these 
various devices of different levels of of sort of trust and uh, and with different vulnerabilities are brought on to communicate with each other uh, that we can ensure that 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 uh, vulnerabilities or attacks that can affect one component are do not cascade and have the ability to give an attacker a foothold or to uh, or to cause denial of service on the rest of our trusted components. And so uh, zero trust obviously gets towards last segmentation. Zero trust in, in the cloud. You you think about. Uh, uh, you know the, the the micro segmentation and things that we have in the cloud. Um, that that's I think a really really key component of of this whole equation to at least let us know that we might lose some components. Maybe we have some some strategies for resiliency within those those IoT components. Uh, but overall, that we can ensure that the things that we need to keep operational, where we have a higher level of trust and assurance requirements, that those can keep uh, can keep moving, despite some devices being within the environment that have lower levels of assurance. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Elma, when we come back, let's talk about the ideal solution we could have put in place, which means the IoT devices related manufacturers, the network providers, the platform providers, the application developers, the end users, everyone is essentially having a secured communication end-to-end. And if, if that can happen, then we can truly say, yeah, that's an ideal state and we can sleep at night. How close are we to this perfect state? What is left to be desired and why we are not able to get to that ideal state even if you want to. Please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Elma, when we look at an ideal solution, all different elements, all different entities should come and be able to utilize IoT effectively with end-to-end security enabled. Where are we with respect to that holy grail? Why are we not there yet? What would be the challenges which will hold us back? And can we ever get there? Yeah, so we are, uh, we're still all over the place when it comes to that. I think there are certain segments where we have uh, really seen a lot of progress. So, you know, we can take an example and look at the Alexas and Google Homes of the world, uh, which I'm a big fan of. I have uh, a lot of automation in, you know, in my own home. Don't get to tell you which one, uh, but there are certain things I was actually looking for in that automation, which was uh, initially, let's say Google, for example, they had a lot of functionality and APIs built in that would allow uh, different devices from all sorts of different manufacturers to be able to interact with other devices on the network. And it was, it was a fairly open framework. Uh, what they found, uh, what Google found this last year is that not all devices are created equal and that some of those devices, uh, if they didn't do, let's say, have uh, the right level of integrity in their coding, uh, they basically they didn't have a secure device they put out to the end consumer, that the, the hacker could actually come in potentially compromise those devices and then use the APIs, the network access from those devices to compromise other devices throughout the network. So what Google actually did is they pulled back on the APIs that were accessible to all different types of devices that were connected into the home framework. Um, and they, they only actually issued uh, particular devices, particular device manufacturers, the ability to access some sort of 
of functions that would be uh, that would need a, a higher level of assurance and higher level of integrity, uh, and from from specific trusted uh, trusted partners versus just allowing anyone to access those functions or routines. So, if we were to go forward and try to stay realistic, and and almost make it a village where all parties come together, what would it take? Yeah, you know, uh, I think it takes it takes a lot of things. Uh, I think one is the acknowledgement and the understanding that you're not going to be perfect. You will never never be perfect. So you have to be able to uh, fail safely. You have to ensure that um, even though we're we're not operating in fully trusted environments anymore, now we're in this this shade of gray. Um, Obviously, you have to have the correct integrity validation on the various routines and functions to make sure that each of these components that, that essentially the, the communications that are coming in uh, take with a grain of salt anything they're seeing from these other, other devices and these other sensors. Uh, that can mean things like, again, uh, so for sensors, for example, um, if you have, uh, instead of relying on one sensor, for a particular piece of data, uh, you can cluster uh, sensors, and you can you can rely on the results coming back from a community of sensors, um, and that way you could take you could throw out um, outlying data that's coming in that's showing you know very different results from everything else that, that you're seeing in the environment. Um, so a lot of this really has, has come down to standardizing on routines and the APIs that are available throughout the community. It's, it's definitely changed the game in a lot of ways, but I think there's still not enough standardization within those APIs uh, to be able to immediately plug and play there with everything. We still have a long ways to go and we still have a long ways to go as well uh, with how we apply, again, the, the good old true standards of things like encryption uh, and uh, and and really identity for these various devices uh, to really have that full assurance picture. Let's talk about the way we are running our security shops, where ideally the speed at which a threat comes in and or starts creating damage, and we are trying to do threat hunting and eventually trying to plug the holes and if you do it manually, God bless us all, right? It'll, it'll create a lot more damage. So, of course, there are tools which have been put out there which claim at least to say, okay, I'm going to use AI. I'm going to find any anomaly. I'm going to plug it. I'm going to stop it. So would you, what would you say to that? Because especially when you talk about a corporate environment, yes, uh, if something like that can be done, and it helps us stop those issues. Those are still human-caused issues, and, and it could still be good. But when it comes to IoT, it's happening at a warp speed. Do you think such systems or the claims of such tools or the existence of such tools is even viable where you, you know you cannot manually handle these things, whether sensing it or, or preventing the damage and plugging the holes and resuming the continuity? Yeah, so, so the the um, the first step in you know solving your problems or, or is really coming to term that, that you have a problem. Um, so we think about that when it comes to security with things on your network. It's really fully understanding what is on your network. In the federal government space, we have the continuous diagnostic mitigation program. The first phase of which really focused very very intently on hardware asset inventory as being the foundation of really security because if we don't know about it, we don't see it, then we're gonna have a really, really difficult time with securing it. Uh, software asset inventory, configuration management, and then uh, vulnerability management, and be able to take all of those elements of that and round those up into a comprehensive understanding of the security posture for all the devices which are on your network. And really that even starts with whether those devices that you're seeing in your network are managed or unmanaged. So in the federal government space, we have done a lot to actually uh, come to terms with those initial goals of being able to have a comprehensive uh, visibility. Uh, and, and there's a couple of ways we can talk about how we get some of that visibility. 
Uh, and then obviously understanding the, the posture and understanding whether or not you've applied you know, hardened configurations to those devices. Uh, but, but that's certainly the first step that we need to do. Now, once you have that intelligence, that's great, but without really automated enforcement, unless you're dealing with a very, very small environment, it's going to be almost impossible for you to do anything with it. So the next piece of that uh, is, is really starts with, you know, what you think of as network access control, being able to actually uh, have positive assurance on what you're allowing on your network and ultimately moving into more intelligent networking um, and then things like comply to connect and, and then of course the, the better instantiation of that, which is the zero trust type networking. So for our purposes, for example, uh, we've put a lot of effort. So initially, uh, I think we looked at tools like uh, Forescout uh, to be able to uh, pull that comprehensive asset inventory uh, off of everything that's connected to a switch. Um, also, you know, looking at, at Cisco ICE, another technology that, that really drives intelligence down to the network. Uh, and, and right now, my team, uh, initially, we were looking at rolling our own asset databases based on all these other sensors and tools that we already have on our network. Uh, and, and there's a tool I'm looking at right now that actually does that collection based on everything that every endpoint knows, uh, along with all of the network tools, along with our, our DNS and, and our DHCP, uh, and be able to bring together that comprehensive uh, master understanding uh, across all these various you know, points of intelligence for us of everything that's on, on the network. And then the second part of that for us, again, is, is driving that intelligence home. So um, unless we know what it is, unless it follows the authorized baseline, unless it has the appropriate scanning, the appropriate levels of patching, that, that that's quarantined and it's not put into a segment where it can reach any of these other devices. Uh, going beyond that, for a lot of IoT, we actually are trying methodologies to keep it just completely off the network and segmented on its own and instead use trusted interfaces. So within the cloud, for example, you have uh, Amazon and uh, Microsoft have their IoT core and the IoT gateways respectively. So one very, very good method for managing this is if you don't have to have it on the network, if you can just put a, like a SIM card in it, um, and then you can just verify the integrity of the communications up to that one central center core. Uh, and then really the overall trust, it's, it's not as much of a concern as it was because that, the integrity of that endpoint, that device, that IoT element can't affect everything else. It's really just ensuring that the communications that are coming from it are, are trusted and valid uh, and they're filtered uh, or brokered by your IoT core. And from there, you can, you can take that data back into the uh, analytics systems and the dashboards and other things uh, without a lot of the same security concerns that you would have if it was writing as a peer on your trusted network. Now, given the corporate uh, applications of IoT or, you know, at, at whatever level, B2C or B2B, there are times when IoT signals or whatever is happening that, or any data being pulled or pushed from the device is used to do something or take some action in the business. That means there is a bridge. So we cannot say if IoT is doing that, it'll keep doing its own thing and we will in the corporate will do keep doing in, uh, at our own thing. So when you're saying you're segmenting your network, what happens to that bridge state where there is interaction happening between the IoT network and this? So is that a weakest link then for us? It definitely can be and it really can, it depends. Uh, you, the two main types of IoT networks or, or network of things uh, are obviously open or closed. So uh, what you're talking about, if, if there are networks that are highly dependent on uh, getting particular messaging and communication to take particular actions that may be you know, incredibly time sensitive, uh, you know, so that may be more of a closed type network, like if you were in, let's say, a factory or something like that. And that would be one where, again, you need very, very high assurance on all the devices and a high level of trust throughout that network. Uh, and, and so we would expect that more contained function where it's not uh, just able to uh, open network where you could get all sorts of different um, inputs from, from, you know, 
thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of different you know iot sensors throughout an environment and you're sort of just taking all those in uh, uh not necessarily equally because you can still have different weighting on the integrity of the trust of different types of devices uh, but you don't have the same dependence. An example of one thing you can do where you are looking for uh, you know, particular levels of assurance for those automation tasks, if you do have a more open network, is that clustering technique, where instead of just relying on one input from one or, or a smaller number of devices, where you have a large number of sensors that are out there where you can then take all that input in, uh, from all those sensors and, and, and use the aggregate of that to make those decisions. Let's take a quick break, listeners. And when we come back, let's look at playing devil's advocate, essentially, to say if, if even the IoT data, even if it's in a closed network or whatever that is, uh, we feel safe about even as a closed network, but it can be manipulated, it can be tampered whether at rest or in transit or in use. Have we built that level of sophistication yet for us to be able to identify it and before it causes too much damage because things are moving very fast within IoT, we are able to uh, tackle this and, and prevent this from creating more damage than we can afford. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN. CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, we could have IoT data be manipulated, it could be tampered. It could be at rest or in transit or in use. So, Alma, what do you think is the current approach to handling such issues so that we are not going to face the, the challenges of a breach and we are proactive about it? So, excellent question. What we really have to do is, I mean, first of all, again, Security 101, there are a lot of things that haven't changed, but applying the same things we know, and a big one here is going to be uh, cryptography um, to actually be able to validate the communications that are coming off those endpoints. But also we need to actually be able to validate the integrity of the endpoints. So, uh, so, so it's having trust in that system, be able to do that assurance that we're, we're trusting but, but validating that uh, we have um, a a device that we understand what it is, we understand what the ownership of it is, the location, uh, and, and again, those requirements are going to vary depending on exactly what you're looking at, uh, but that when that we're not just, in some of those closed networks in the past, we were, uh, you would see more things like uh, unencrypted communications, where if an attacker could somehow gain access to more of a closed network, that there was an ability to, uh, to potentially intercept or change the sensor output. So uh, I'll give you an example from uh, my world, is uh, Black Hat, uh, I would say about three years ago, for the non-intrusive inspection systems, for systems that do, let's say, uh, uh, x-rays, uh, you have uh, radiation portal monitors. So if you drive a vehicle, uh, through a, a radiation portal monitor or an x-ray system. Um, there are some black hat hackers that found that the, a lot of those systems were not designed with integrity from the sensor back to the aggregator that actually were the, the uh, let's say the officer in this case, would be viewing the results of scanning, let's say, a, a container, uh, like a, a, of a container ship or something like that. Um, and, and if attacker could get on there, they could essentially insert any image that they wanted uh, within that network. So it, in that case, 
the fix is uh, obviously uh, ensuring that you have the an actual closed network where you are making sure that you know you're not using uh, wireless. If you are using wireless, that it's it's strongly encrypted. Uh, but then also putting the cryptography in so that the messages that are coming from those sensors are validated. Uh, so that's that's step one. You're not going to get very far uh, without that. Let's talk about the identity and access management. When we have humans, we still have a set of rules you can put, and maybe we could introduce AI and other type of sophistication because the number of humans at any given time which will uh, who will be accessing any application or any resource is, is going to be finite. But imagine things happening at the IoT pace. The same identity and access management paradigm would simply not work. What will? Yeah, so uh, a lot of that goes back to uh, the weaknesses in usernames and passwords. Um, that is still a challenge that, that uh, really plagues us in so many different areas, not the least of which is IoT. And it starts with a very, very basic IoT pitfall, which is uh, you know standard vendor uh, default usernames and passwords on devices that are, that are never changed. I think it's amazing if you look at, uh, there, there are lots of lots of different uh, botnets, for example, of web cameras that have been established and set up. You're talking like sometimes hundreds of thousands of different uh, web cameras that are compromised and actually enrolled into bot networks and used by, uh, by cyber criminals to do denial of service attacks and things. Uh, same thing with, uh, with routers. Uh, and that's very, very basic of not setting your own password. But when we get past that and we look at this integration between systems, um, a lot of times those, those systems integrations or the service accounts and things that could be used are also set up as usernames and passwords. And even it, going into the cloud, you see that sometimes. Uh, so it's really, really critical to get out of, of that, that user and password paradigm and into a stronger level of authentication that usually requires some sort of, of a broker or a privileged access management tool, a, a, a PAM tool. Uh, so uh, PAMs have come a long ways uh, in this, this last few years. And uh, you know, certainly at CDP, we're, we're pushing for uh, the more use of the PAMs to be able to take those service accounts. Instead, uh, we're having things based on the, uh, you know, the, the profile of the device, the, the crypto that's on the device, uh, and other trusted elements of the device that we can have the assurance that device be known in a positive way to that privilege access management tool. And then instead of giving out user and password, uh, that we're actually giving out uh, access tokens so those devices can authenticate and perform those actions uh, using that, that trusted relationship between that broker that manages the access. So if, if we are working in this direction, so these are things that you're saying we have to do, but frankly, if we do not have this in place already, are we not creating vulnerability uh, deliberately, if you will? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about creating vulnerability deliberately. Um, there are definitely, it's, again, there's so many scenarios that it's really, really hard to say. Uh, there is vulnerability in this space, to be sure. And uh, not one size is going to fit all when it comes to how we deal with that. Um, if we don't have the ability to leverage some of those tokenized access uh, where, where you can't have an attacker, let's say, come and you know, steal, the, steal or intercept those credentials and replay or reuse. That's going to be the main concern there is assuring that, one, they can't take over the device, but two, that they can't just, uh, you know, can sniff the credentials, the username and password, and then leverage those. Um, so, so, so one is minimization, and that's where you get into the zero trust um, methodology. So zero trust is uh, building on what we talked about with uh, network access control and then intelligent networking. Intelligent networking being that a uh, device has a profile and I know what it is and, and know that it meets some sort of you know, comply to connect to some sort of level or standard where I'm going to allow it to actually access. Zero trust is the next phase of that, which is not only having a good assurance on what the device is, 
but then having some sort of identity and access profile that goes along with that, that only grants that device uh, access to explicitly what it needs to be able to access, uh, both uh, logically from like, let's say an application perspective, but also from a network routing perspective, where if that device was compromised, um, or if the credentials were compromised, those credentials still only have access to do a very, very explicit thing that's, that is, um, again, it's very, something that's very, very explicit. Uh, so, that, so that the impact of a compromise of integrity is extremely limited in the overall system. And one device, if an attacker gets on that one device, they can't use it to pivot uh, to the rest of your network to compromise what might be a more high-value asset. No, and, and, and in the cloud, and in, in the cloud, I'm sorry, in the cloud, that actually gets into there's methodology too in the cloud, which is the micro segmentation, uh, which I think is very, very much the same thing. Uh, and containerization in the cloud also gets at that, uh, but but overall. You know, zero trust is something, this is really, I think, the biggest push that we've seen in security in, in a very, very long while. And it falls back to very, very basic security principles of having the, the lowest level of access and the least privilege that's required. It's just now we actually are getting to a place where we have the intelligence, the network intelligence technology and the, the technology with identity management where we can actually implement those best practices in a really, really comprehensive way that's it's never been possible before because you, you pretty much have to do a lot of this work dynamically and lean on the artificial intelligence of those systems network and access control systems to actually dynamically generate and, and oftentimes do uh, real-time um, access, uh, access control uh, provisioning where in let, until that, that user or that account or that device needs the access, that's not a standing level of access that's there. It's something that can dynamically be generated when needed. When we refer to the enterprise security and related projects that we want to get done, it does come down to building a business case and security leaders can always vouch for the fact that it's not easy to get the funding from the management. Maybe you would have a different story because you're from the government. So when you talk about corporate or enterprise related applications and how secure you wanna be, you have to take a business case. Some things get shot down, other things get approved. What about IoT security? Cause it's too, is it seen as too removed? It is seen as too technical. Is it seen as too benign? What's your current state? What, what, what difficulties do security leaders face or have been facing when it comes to IoT or is it an easier sell? I think it's a lot easier than it used to be. And the reason is because it now, uh, it's something where you can point to real impacts. So the equation for increased automation um, is always that, that the, the more you automate, the more you improve the efficiency of the workforce through using systems and automation and sensors, the greater the impact to the overall organization or operation uh, if those things go down and are removed. So uh, I mentioned the hospitals. Uh, there's another use case you could point to. So uh, you know, FedEx, um, for one example, they had a, an overseas entity or element they just acquired uh, that, that went down very, very hard during some of these, uh, the, the WannaCry attacks, I believe it was. Um, and they have you know, tens of millions of dollars that they can point to for the weeks that they spent trying to rebuild their networks because the devices on their networks did not reach the appropriate standard. So now that you see that in, in the case of some of the hospitals, for example, actual lives being put on the line because of the risk of not managing these other devices appropriately that, that was really overlooked when someone initially plugged them in, I think now it makes for a, an extremely compelling business case because you can demonstrate how uh, overlooking those can, can shut down your entire operation and in some cases put lives at risk certainly affect things like stock price. Uh, so it makes the calculations easier. And actually in the private sector, I think that might be easier than government in some cases. In government, 
we're very good at having uh, laws and standards and governance that we have to uh, come and come to terms with, but it's more difficult to put a dollar value um, on the impact because we, we you know, we're dealing with uh, you know funding from taxpayers and things like that versus direct revenue from customers or stock prices. So, uh, so the private sector has could have that piece a little bit easier because you can just say, well, we know that if this happens, that the impact would be X or Y to the business, and then you can walk that back into that dollar value. So, uh, we've come a long way. I think that uh, is a discussion that is it's very very hard now for someone to overlook and say that security is not important to the business with this level of automation, uh, and there's so many use cases to point to that uh, it's a lot better than it used to be. What about the people and the process challenges? Of course, suppose you get the budget and um, yes, you are supposed to get this implemented and you're dealing with just technical people or are there any other people and process challenges that we must handle so that IoT security as an area which we need to tackle, the job becomes easier? Yeah, um, you have to start at the beginning, right? You have to start with supply chain and with pedigree. Um, so not only knowing what the devices are, but knowing where the devices came from, knowing that it's coming from a, a trusted partner or vendor, having being able to, um, we're working, for example, on being able to uh, scan firmware on IoT type devices. Uh, and so we can actually get a, a an assurance level on that this has the right firmware that we expect it to have and that that checks out with our trusted vendor or trusted partner that's coming from. Um, you know, we have obviously, when you look at things like uh, like drones, for example, uh, we're only looking at uh, particular manufacturers that come from particular locations that have they've gone through uh, various levels of cyber testing that we're not comfortable with, and we'll do additional. My uh, my team uh, this next year, we're standing up our uh, uh, cyber test range, and we'll be doing uh, a next, another step too to do a lot more penetration testing and hands-on. Uh, for those devices that are out there. But then it goes to be able to actually have a full life cycle of management, communicating to the stakeholders uh, that are looking at those IoT type sensors and ensuring they know this is not a one-time cost, that there is an expectation that's communicated you know, up to management and, and down to all these other levels that when you bring these devices in, uh, that not only do they have to have good assurance when they come in the door, but you have to actually ensure that they are being managed throughout the entire life cycle of those devices. That we're securely deploying them, that we're hardening them, and then that there are, as there are updates that come into play as you have to patch or maintain or you know, once they become end of life, actually get them off the network and bring something else in there, that all those costs are realized before you actually start plugging things into your network uh, and just expecting that everything's going to be okay. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, when we come back, let's talk about the partners. Because when we spoke about IoT, it's typically an ecosystem. And yes, you could have your closed um, you know, ecosystem where only you have as an enterprise using IoT for your purposes. But more, more and more cases are coming up, even in industrial IoT or uh, the commercial or the regular user-based IoT, where you would need multiple entities to come together. So if you are a CISO who is trying to make sure that your organization's interests are safeguarded, which also means that all different entities that you're dealing with, they should also come on board. They should also have their processes and people and the, the business leaders understanding and literally have full alignment. Is that even possible? And if yes, how? How do you get the whole village to come together and actually work to make sure they are all doing exactly the same thing so that you have a secured IoT ecosystem. Please sit to your listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Work.com. 
listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, the weakest link could be where your other partners in the ecosystem don't stand up to the standards that we are all supposed to lay out. And of course, as a chief information security officer, Alma, you or anybody else as your peer would not want to take the responsibility. But if you don't, your IoT system stays insecure. So how do you get out of this? So you have to be able to measure the risk posture and you have to be able to communicate that risk posture. Uh, and that can obviously be a real a real challenge to do. Uh, I would say that uh, within CBP, we've had some really, really incredible uh, success and progress. Uh, you know, certainly over the last uh, you know, number of years, uh, our CIO has stood up and uh, and really driven home that uh, we are that security is is critical. Um, and uh, we have uh, biweekly meetings with him where we're giving him especially metrics on our vulnerability management program. So again, we have the right telemetry, we have the right uh, intelligence coming in to understand what's on our network, uh, and then also that we have a very, very solid program that leverages both uh, a vulnerability assessment team, internal penetration, t- penetration testing team, and also we've been leaning on uh, bug bounty programs. Uh, we were the very first agency within DHS to implement a commercial bug bounty program uh, through a couple of partners, uh, and uh, and that helps to augment those teams and bring in another level of, of independent expertise at a, actually a, a pretty good cost uh, given the level of expertise that's coming in uh, that can show us where we have problems. But then... As we get that, we spend a lot of time on you know, developing those those metrics uh, into uh, once once you have the bulk, it's not good enough to have a big bulk. Hey, here's our scan results for all the, the enterprise. You have to actually break it down to be able to assign accountability. So for all of our systems and everything that we're scanning, we know exactly which system boundary uh, each of these various devices are in and we have a list of accountability for all that boundary. So we have uh, an ISSO who's gonna be responsible for that, which is the information system security officer that uh, boots on the ground security person that ensures that that all these various uh, uh, systems are operating in compliance with policy and they're being maintained from a configuration vulnerability management perspective. And of course, going through uh, their, their ISSM, the system manager, through the system owner, uh, and and all that rolls up to give the CIO a view, uh, system by system, of what the risk posture is for that. You know where we have you know critical uh, patches or security fixes need to be applied, um, and, and obviously we have a very very uh, extensive program around doing not only formal assessments around those various systems, but uh, formal risk management. Uh, waivers if we do see something that we know we can't address in the way that is currently uh, specified by policy uh, and how we apply compensating controls where there are system waivers that are needed. Uh, So you can imagine though this does take uh, a lot of personnel to manage and the most important thing though is having the attention of your executives of the CIO and then above the CIO that the entire leadership chain uh, believes that uh, security is important and something that is worthy of uh, of investment, and even for for example uh, that uh, that IT needs investment. Uh, one of the other big successes that we've had, aside from you know the CIO really really driving home to all of our workforce, uh, we had some really good progress with uh, with defining um, IT lifecycle refresh overall. As a, as a key cybersecurity metric and a key cybersecurity challenge. Because if we aren't updating these legacy systems, then we aren't going to be able to manage them, we aren't going to be able to patch them, and those are just going to, going to result in unacceptable vulnerabilities to the organization that put everyone, everything at risk. So really, you know, driving a stake in um, on that principle that, that all this IT, we got to take it serious, for the entire time that it is, it is in operation um, and, and then having the right metrics to communicate that posture and that status up to uh, our leadership of CIO and above level. 
When we talk about the risk posture, you mentioned about risk posture. We know that, say, around two decades back or maybe a decade and a half back, the security leader said, you know what? I know there are uh, intrusions that are likely to happen, but we will prevent all of that. So don't worry, things will be okay. Then a few years go by and breaches don't stop. So they say, you know what? I'm not sure if we can prevent everything. And let's work on building more responsiveness. So as soon as a breach happens, we are going to somehow prevent or, or rather minimize the damage. And then when again came the AI and other type of technologies, now the positioning is back again to say, how can we figure out how to prevent it? Now, that's part of the enterprise security management uh, approach that has been, you know, like a pendulum swinging. When it comes to IoT, what would work? You may have the technology, you may have the AI, but what would work which would serve us well in securing the IoT ecosystem? Do we just become responsive to breaches or we become the ones who will prevent any breach from happening? Yeah, so we definitely can't prevent any breach from happening. And uh, one of the best things that's happened from a public-private partnership over the last few years when it comes to security has been the NIST cybersecurity framework, which goes uh, beyond the risk management framework the government applies. Uh, and it was really designed initially for the critical infrastructure sector where you're looking at these various functions of cybersecurity and the way they break them out, other than breaking them out into control families, which is how the original National Institutes of Standards and Technology a security framework is broken out. Uh, it breaks it out into uh, identify. Alma, we have 30 protect. seconds to go. I'm sorry, but yeah, we'll have to close, but yep. uh, yeah. Uh, detect, re respond, uh, recover, and respond. So uh, basically that framework is critical because it acknowledges that you will not be able to stop all the attacks. There are certain things you should set up to assure that uh, you are, have a hardened baseline, but then you need to ensure also that your program has that equal ability to find when, in, when attacks or breaches happen and to respond and recover from those. So overall, resiliency is probably, resiliency and the ability to detect and respond to attacks is the thing I think we focus on now in equal measure to the proactive protection. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Alma, for sharing uh, with us how the organizations can better manage IoT security. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a nice day. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, that is CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All. Your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>